This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. Hi, Kate. How are you? Good. How are you? Hang on a second. Oh, got myself a little freaky there. (laughs) How are you? I'm so sorry. around. Oh my gosh, it's totally fine. Okay. <laughs> totally fine. How have you been? Good, good, good. And you? Yeah, I mean, we're really busy and, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to Florida next week with my family, so I'm... Oh, congratulations. I hear, um, so one of my clients is Choice Hotels and they're saying that the Florida hotels are packed. Are you having trouble finding Italy. a room? So um, I'm staying with my in-laws. Oh, okay, that's so good. It's, it's a very different experience, and like we won't be going anywhere. Like we'll just be at their pool. Um, okay. But yes, I know that. Like you know, I turn on the news, and Miami is insane, and like you know, it's crazy down there. But a lot of people are engaged in spring break this year, so I'm hopeful towards a better future. Yes, things are turning around. That's for sure. Yeah. Awesome. So let's uh, uh, let's introduce yourself. Um, tell me about a little bit about your organization and what you're passionate about. Okay, great. Um, I'm Kate Horvath. I lead strategy and innovation at Propeller. We're a healthcare marketing agency with a digital focus. Um, and and we're, our end customer is HCP, HCP Healthcare Professional. Um, okay. And if you asked me two years, if you asked me two years ago what HCP was, I wouldn't know either. Um, my background is very different. Um, I worked um, at Hearst running fashion marketing. Um, so very different shift coming here. I think I have an entire notebook filled of acronyms to learn the healthcare space. Um, but I think it's also the the that space. Say that again. How long have you been in the healthcare space? Two years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's that, um, you know, that different background that has really helped translate well into this role, actually, because part of um, what I bring is the innovation piece, right, to our clients, also to internal culture, but being a part of, you know, at the forefront at Hearst, where everything was so consumer focused, um, you know, yeah. what is the latest in social, what are those latest products, and then thinking about how does that translate to our pharma clients. Very, very cool. And what are you passionate about? Um, I'm passionate about a lot of things. Um, I would say, <laughs> like, you know, my general mission is to help um, people and businesses do their best work. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that's always what I set out to do every single day. Um, you know, from a people and culture perspective, um, I help run, I guess I would say the soft operations at Propeller. Um, so, you know, that's everything from bringing in different, um, group discussions, different therapies to wellness initiatives, um, across emotional and physical, um, making sure that we're really fostering that connectivity, especially in a virtual world. Right. So, 
propeller now for a year has been virtual and mm -hmm. that's probably you know what it's going to be in perpetuity we're going to um you know we've hired a ton of talent recently and they're all over the country so just making sure that we're um you know really fostering that connection um and and making sure that we are you know a family right we're a small company we're 55 now we were 35 a year ago which is crazy but we've have grown really quickly um which is exciting it's a result of our business doing really really well um and then secondly you know in in that spirit of making sure everyone's doing their best work. That's the same for our clients as well. And really pushing them to be that avant-garde to pushing them to be the most innovative in the industry. And again, that's kind of where I bring in my background and I'm like, Hey, have you tried TikTok? Have you tried, um, you know, these, these oh, cool that, apps? Is it, is it, so you're the one who's responsible for nurses on TikTok. Is that you? <laughs> it's not me, but I would love for our clients to be there. Um, and that is definitely a phenomenon that started, um, with COVID it definitely accelerated. And yeah. I think it's an interesting space that, I, that we can definitely be in, um, and more in, obviously there's been tons of advertisers that have capitalized on its momentum, um, working with authenticators and influencers to reinforce really great content, to bring to life, different messaging, um, right. Cause more than ever being raw, being authentic is what wins. So what is our version of that for surgeons? Um, what is our version of that for specialists? Um, you know, think about dermatologists, um, pulmonologists, and how can they be educating not only their peers, but then also patients. Interesting. So would you say now, when you think about the fashion industry and you think about healthcare, you're thinking, wow, super innovative and total stick in the mud, no innovation whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> is that an accurate description? I, day one, I would have said that maybe, right. maybe, um, day like 45, I also would have said that, mm -hmm. um, not anymore. I actually think, and you know, this is something that I, um, have learned just in my, in my time here that we have to even be more creative and push boundaries and get through legal guardrails, um, right. which are significant in our space. Right. So, um, anyone that sees, a pharmaceutical advertisement or hears it in a TV commercial, right? You hear five minutes of happiness or five seconds of happiness and you hear 20 seconds of all this different side effects and terrible things that can happen to you. <laughs> I know sometimes it's like, it's like two <laughs> seconds of happiness and the rest is like, and then they speed it up, right? The, the guy's like talking faster and I'm like, I can't even understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we have to include that that's called important safety information. And we have mm -hmm. to include that in our messaging. Um, so it's thinking about, you know, how can we be really creative to really still engage um, our HCPs um, and, and be creative in the different channels that we're communicating. So I would say at first I was like, oh, you know, nothing that, that it's not as cool. It's not as sexy, but um, I think the best challenge here and the most rewarding is seeing some of these cool ideas from my old world actually happen in healthcare. So I'll give you an example. Um, refinery 29 um, has refinery 29 rooms. It's these moving rooms. It was, it was an experience that they did annually. It was obviously in person where it was designed where you'd go into different rooms and each room was a different Instagram theme. And it was really designed right for that millennial where you go in, you have that Instagram moment and there was so much social momentum and buzz. And then obviously advertisers could, could sponsor different rooms. So I, I suspect that that idea has now gone virtual. 
but I love that concept. I think there's something so interesting and unique there. And so I suggested it to one of our clients and now they are activating on it and aligning it with a conference um, and bringing in this different room setting where you can go in and obviously the content's a bit different. One is, you know, hearing from engineers and scientists. Another one is taking different HCP polls. Um, but again, kind of translating things from my past that I think were really innovative and bringing them here. You know, I was quickly coined rooftop pool party, Kate, <laughs> at, at Propeller. I think that was like one month in. Mm -hmm. I, was I was tasked to come up with um, some big ideas for um, dermatologists. And I was like, oh, you know, there's an event in New York City. And I said, you know, in New York in the summer, everyone wants to be like, on a rooftop having like a big party. And I said, you yep. know, take them outside the confines of the conference and host a party on a rooftop. And anyway, it stuck. And now I am, was quickly coined that. But you did give them a lot of sunscreen, right? That was part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You don't want the dermatologist to be going, what, what, is, it, what is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, you know, another thing about the innovation piece, you know, outside of our clients and bringing it internally, um, you know, it's been a big mission of mine. And so I created um, Propeller Pulse. It mm -hmm. is, it's now become kind of our lifestyle brand, but its mission was to fuel innovation, fuel thought mm -hmm. leadership. So it's been broken out now into um, various streams that are internal and external. So if you visit Propeller on any of our social channels, um, if you visit our website, you'll see it. it, it it's branded everywhere, um, but through social, through a quarterly trend report, um, we've really tried to showcase our innovation, right? We sell ourselves as digital forward. We are digital forward. And I, I'm seeing it when I look at other competitive agencies, you know, the outputs that we have, but what's important is that we are continuously innovating and bringing the, the coolest things to our partners. So that's exactly what this is intended to do is that internally we are making sure that we're advancing and leveling up ourselves and then showing that up externally as well. Right. Well, when the Instagram thing sort of made me think about um, uh, engagement. So in, in, in any other industry that's not so litigious, I guess you could say, you can have, you know, regular folks, you know, submit stuff and, and really participate in the conversation, really connect and crowdsource stuff. But I'm assuming you can't do stuff like that in where you are now. Yes, so we have to turn off um, the commenting a lot in the social space. Um, there are though um, private healthcare professional channels where there is more of that two-way dialogue. So for example, I didn't know this existed before two years ago, but Doximity is like the equivalent of a doctor Facebook. Hmm, and you have, you have to be a doctor in order to access that page. And I can't even enter. I've never seen it beyond, you know, speaking to the vendor and them educating me on their different products. Um, so that is where you'll see some of that two-way engagement. Um, also, in our world, digital influencers also take the name of KOLs, key opinion leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and they definitely have the flexibility to promote and amplify on their personal channels, just like in consumer influencer world. Um, it's just that when they are promoting a brand, it has to show up differently. Um, right. It's more about educating on the disease state or educating on 
um, the subject matter versus saying like, hey, take this drug. Um, you're going to see better results. Um, so it's being a little bit actually more authentic and real to how people and consumers actually want to be spoken to today, right? Like there's definitely been a shift in how we speak to people. It's, oh, yeah. it's so much more sensitive. It's more emotional. It's more authentic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's the only way to, to win right now is to, is to really in, instill that. Right. So are these people credentialed? Is that what, what puts them in that category? Yeah, so they're highly respected within their communities um, and they have participated in, in many events, uh, many thought leadership moments. Um, they are um, highly recognized doctors within their respective field. Mm -hmm. So what's the most, it, if you pre presented something like really innovative to some of your clients who've said, no, that's just too far out there for us. That happens a lot. <laughs> I always joke, I feel like I get off some calls and the clients are like, who is that crazy child? Like she literally does not make any sense and none of this could ever happen. But right. I think that's why um, like I'm brought into certain conversations and why I'm not brought into certain conversations <laughs> at the company. Um, but I definitely am always trying to push toward, you know, um, more interesting novel experiences, um, especially, you know, capitalizing on the trends of today, which are, you know, community engagement, those real conversations. What does our version of, you know, social look like? What is our version of, you know, a Tinder app even look like, right? Like the whole phenomenon of swiping to find your match how are we doing that in the healthcare space, right? Is there an opportunity for a patient to find their doctor or a doctor to connect with another doctor leveraging that functionality? Um, so again, I introduced these ideas, some of which are, wow, that's cool. Now tell me how that could actually happen. And then that takes a little bit longer in our world to actually come to fruition. And then there's some that's like, hey, I appreciate the big ideas, but we're, we're not there yet. Um, but I will say in the two years I've been here, I've seen a significant shift um, in innovation. Um, and it's definitely fueled by data as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a common denominator, no matter where you're marketing, right? Having data to really personalize and connect with your customer across any touch points, across any device um, is, is, the, is the path forward. Would you say that um, sort of like the crisis, the COVID has really pushed pushed things forward as well? It has digitally. Yeah. Um, 100%. Um, because, you know, there is not that face-to-face. -face. There is, a, you know, experiential is different now. Um, so thinking creatively about how to engage with your customer on screen, on phone, on um, targeted TV, Etc. I definitely think that that has has changed, um, and there's more momentum around it. And I, and I think that that's the direction. I think it was already the direction that it was going, leaning into digital. But now it's been fully embraced, and we're on to this next normal, which is truly digital. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting you should mention Tinder for doctors because I met a guy who in Brazil. He's actually prototyping that a Brazilian Tinder for doctors. Really? So 
matching matching up patients and doctors through like a tinder like interface so i can i can see if i can put you in touch with this guy but that's i thought neat. that's interesting but it's like it's a kind of a different modality right because with tinder you're, you're kind of just looking for like visual visually and you don't really unless you like that first grabs your attention you're not going to dig into it any further so i mean what would you show for a doctor would you like show some stats or i mean what, what would you yeah, I think you would need to show um, maybe some, I mean, from a brand, from an advertising perspective, like I'll think from the client's head, um, you know, I think having some preferred drug choices would be beneficial for them. Um, but I think, you know, getting to know your doctor on a more like personal level is really helpful. Like, I think I choose doctors when I see those five stars, right? Those five out of five stars. If you want to make sure that that person is like well received and well respected from other patients. Um, you know, from our world, which is more HCP focused, I think mm -hmm. having other HCPs giving them an accolade, giving them the recognition that they are like a high performing or successful doctor is a really interesting take for us, right? Because there's already the health grades and there's already the Zoc docs and there's like Uber doctor, I just came across the other day, those exist. So what does it look like for HCP to HCP as well is really interesting. Um, and to really create its own network within specialties within that community. Um, and it, it's, it's kind of building upon what's been so, so successful and social as well. It's really interesting because I, I find that a lot of those services don't really have a lot of data. And mm -hmm. if they do have data, it's highly subjective. I mean, but the HCP, HCP, two HCP network is a little more accurate. I think that if I'm talking more about this app, like I think that what's so interesting about an app like this is, is the opportunity to connect HCPs to other HCPs, whether it's at a local level or even if it's, you know, taking more national and connecting them to other local um, influencers and thought leaders. From a data perspective, you know, our, the, what we're looking at is very different than what my world was prior. What mm -hmm. we're looking at is script volume. What we're looking at is, um, you know, how much of a drug is being written on, and in what cadence. Um, what is that compared to a different, from a competitor? Um, and tracking that from both digital behaviors as well as sales, as well as um, rep behavior, rep engagements mm -hmm. as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because rep is so much a part of our world and having that personal touch point. If I have a real, if I'm rep Kate and I have a really great relationship with a specialist, that specialist is more inclined to write the drug that I am promoting or that I'm out there talking for about and championing. Um, so making sure that the intersection of those data points, as well as digital data points, um, are married together and then analyzing that against the, the sales data or the, the script behaviors, um, honestly makes our data even more novel and, and, and more nuanced. So you're able, are you able to do the, uh, go all the way out to outcomes? So like once after the, after it's written and after it's completed and can you actually track that that data as well yes yeah and we work closely with our clients they have respective teams in-house um that collect all the data and then they can give it back to us 
And then what translates in our world is like, all right, are we communicating in the right channels? Is, are our communications moving the needle? What do we need to do to shift our approach in getting, you know, the right message at the right time in front of every customer? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out this, I mean, this is a new thing, kind of, a, I, I've been here for a while. I, I used to live in Canada. There was none, none of this sort of drug um, advertising to end users, right? That was, it was always to the physicians, but here it seems like you're pitching the customer to say, oh, go talk to your doctor. Is I'm assuming you're also pitching the doctor, but is that, yeah. is that the function of the way the system works? Yeah. So we are pitching to the doctor. Right. That is our ultimate end user. There are opportunities, of course, where we're asking patients to go talk to their doctor. But right. ultimately, we are trying to influence the doctor to write for their patient. Mm-hmm. With this drug, like your patient will have better results. We, we are promoting real world evidence. We're promoting the clinical data. Um, and it's making sure that we're doing that in a really thoughtful way, that we're doing it in a really engaging way. Um, it's, you know, highly competitive. Everyone has their data story. Everyone has their efficacy and their safety out there. And it's, you know, how are we doing it in a, in a more interesting way, right? There's one thing to message, but then there's also the delivery of it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what we aim to do every day and to set us apart. Right. So when we're talking about um, sort of delivering the message or delivering innovative new products through these channels, mm-hmm. I mean, what, have you found anything to be more effective than anything else? Our media, our media, I would say, um, media, um, has been for us very effective, um, and social falls into that bucket. Um, I think it's because we can track it so closely and in more real time that we can augment and tailor it. There's also the ability to create that journey for each customer, right? Mm -hmm. So from touch point one to touch point two to touch point three, following them in their online journey or their connected device journey and making sure that it is that fluid messaging to them, right? Because I think 10 years ago, five years ago, it was, okay, just show up everywhere and kind of blunt and blast the same type of message. And now it's like, all right, what are you saying at touch point one? And then what is the evolution of that at touch point two? So I think that we're seeing the biggest ROI in our media efforts um, and looking at um, the holistic connected device experience. Yeah, so that's that's the retargeting piece, right? Where you just you can just follow somebody through their journey and then just hit them again and again at different touch points, and it, it eventually it's kind of like anything. But he says, I think the number now is it used to be like five, and then it was seven, and now it's nine. There's a certain number of touch points that you have to get through before, you know, you'll actually get some kind of a positive response. I mean, has, is that going to change? Is there, is there, is that just going to get longer? Right. I think personalization is going to be just more and more important than ever. Um, so with that said, I think customers, whether it's a patient or an HCP or, you know, a fashion enthusiast, I think it's up to them to decide what type of experience they want from the brand and they right. are going to have control versus the brand. So Meaning I want to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. 
No, 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 you. Um, I want to go back a bit to your fashion experience that you were talking about. I mean, from the outside, I would say it sounded like like what I started off with, like fashion, really innovative, healthcare, not so much. But I'm assuming there's probably a lot of barriers to innovate it in fashion as well. Uh, not as much. No, not as much. But I, I'm sure that there's still <laughs> moments where, you know, certain established brands say this is how it's got to be. And there's no change there. Um, definitely in the luxury space. Um, so retail, not as much, um, but definitely in luxury, they want to make sure that their persona is on brand Mm -hmm. and what, and they ultimately would be so prescriptive with content marketing, um, with what our editors could say and not say that it almost did not feel organic anymore. Right. At first, what we would pride ourselves on is that, um, is that all our content was created equal. Right. Mm -hmm. So if it was a branded piece or a truly editorial piece, it was treated the same. So as a reader of these, of Elle magazine, of Harper's Bazaar, of Marie Claire, I wouldn't know the difference, right? Like if I'm an editor and my curated top 10 picks for shoes were in a list and it happened to be the advertiser that had paid for that piece of content, I wouldn't know as the consumer because it would feel so organic. Mm-hmm. When it comes to some of our lug- when it came to some of our luxury clients, that's where they were like, "No, we want to be in this article, hundred percent share a voice. We want every shoe pick to be ours. We want it to be exactly this." Where then it wasn't, it it wasn't, you know, editorial at that point. But then it's it, like an ad. It's like a G- a really long ad, right? A hundred percent. So that is the challenge that we had was setting the cl- the um, clients in the luxury space, their expectations on what's actually gonna perform well um, and, and giving them that analysis, showing them side by side what's going to work. So how, how would you convince them to do something different? I would show them the results of a more organic editorial piece. Mm-hmm. I would show side by side, hey, these are the page views. This was the engagement. These were the shares that our customers had on social. And this is what your piece is going, could do and would do versus that. Um, you know, another opportunity that we had at first was called Instant Insights. And this mm-hmm. isn't anything proprietary that I'm not allowed to tell because I've seen it now in the marketplace everywhere. At one point it was. Um, but they have a product that's woven throughout their editorial pages that does instant polling. Mm-hmm. And so another great opportunity for advertisers at the time was to submit um, for, for customers to submit their, their responses. And we would leverage that as part of our data to then fine tune and inform what content we would be creating on their behalf. So we would, at first they would ignite and scale these polls all over the platforms, all, all over the websites um, in between pages. And that was phase one. And then our promise was, okay, after eight weeks of this living, we'll collect all this data. And then based off of those findings, like your customer wants you to write about, you know, fur coats, yeah. then we would create an article about that. Or, you know, customers prefer to hear about, um, you know, night out fashion versus like brunch fashion. So that, that was informing our editors to then write content about that. And ultimately that would then perform better. But again, right. that's going back to 
the personalization. I think Hearst was ahead of the times there and starting that trend and making sure that what we're writing is really done for the end goal of making the customer experience better. Right. That sounds like a very slow version of a Facebook feed where the feed is like <laughs> watching what you're doing and then like it instantly gives you more of what you want, but yeah. you were just doing it. You were just doing it sort of manually over time. Mm-hmm. And is her, are they still doing that? Or are they they're still doing it? Um, they're still doing it. And it, you know, obviously it's their own owned and operated proprietary data, which is why advertisers go to them um, because they have millions and millions of unique visitors um, on a daily basis, on a monthly basis on Comscore. So, um, you know, that was an incentive for advertisers to, to want to do these polls. You're only going to get them on these pages and, and then to obviously create the content. So are you thinking about doing something similar to your customers in the HTTP space or is that n- a non-starter? I would love to. Um, <laughs> I pitch instant insights a lot. Clients see the value. Um, absolutely. Um, and I do think it will only benefit our, you know, outputs, you know, whether they live in ad units or they live in editorial pages, but getting that real data from our customers is only going to drive better outcomes. Right. Right. And then, but again, in this case, you can't just like turn it straight around, like Facebook might do it. You'd have to put it through some kind of vetting process to make sure that it it's, it's, it's copacetic. Exactly. And that's another thing, like we, in this world, like making sure that it is going to get through the legal world. Um, and that the questions that we're asking um, are, are mindful of that. Yeah. So if it wasn't for the lawyers, things would be so much faster, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like you got to get them, to, everything's got to go through legal, 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 legal. I mean, it's almost like, is it like an American thing? Is it is because we're so litigious? Is that why we need to do this? Or, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I think it's because, um, you know, at the same time, while, you know, at, at one point I would have thought that help that um, fashion is, you know, cooler and sexier and all that. Um you know, I do think that the, the beauty of healthcare is that it's purpose-driven, it's mission-driven, right? Like it's, it's you're working toward a great cause. And, um, you know, I have really find, found value and have appreciated working in, in this space. I, I think that, you know, as a marketer to know that I'm like helping people and helping doctors save lives, like that's truly what we're helping to do and aiming to do. Um, has been way more um, impactful in my career right. than, than fashion was. Like that was more of a passion. And so again, I think my the internal culture piece and the connectivity that I spoke to in the beginning of the call and like making sure that I'll always go back to like what I set out to do every day. And that's making sure that our people and businesses like live their best lives um, you know, from a people and culture perspective, like that's exactly how I bring in my past background. I, you know, from, a, I feel like I get the consumer in me and like those, that passion project in some of the activities, engagements that I've done here, whether it's just even like doing a themed baby shower, right? Like just some of those fun things from like running a company. I think that I can, I get to bring that in. 
Very cool. So we were talking a little bit before about, um, oh, I lost my train of thought, <laughs> about moving, moving innovation through the organization through an organization, have you come up against any barriers that you've been able to successfully defeat and how did you do that? Yeah, um, you know, I think that, um, you know, making from our perspective, we need to make sure that every single scenario is very much thought out um, Mm -hmm. when we're getting it through legal. we have a team here that is really focused and dedicated to working like day on, on a daily basis with those legal teams and are joining clients in those meetings and speaking on behalf of the idea and the experience and what its end goal is, how it's going to come to life. Um, so just making sure that we have every specific detail of how it's actually going to um, touch our customers and what it means for the brand. It, I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely more arduous than, than consumer world, right? You don't have to do that, right? The, the, the back and forth in my fashion world was, okay, you send the piece of content, you send the ad unit to the advertiser, they give you some feedback, you update it, and then you know it goes two rounds of feedback. That's, that's not us. The client works with us actually to come up with these ideas. We have a lot of brainstorms. We work through the ideas, you know, from, from a more novel, big, big concept perspective, um, we're aligned. And now it's like, all right, now we need to be unified and come together and present it in front of the legal team and make sure that they're going to sign off on it. I would say it's very common that they're going to come back with questions, concerns, things that we need to go back and revisit and think through like, okay, how can we get around this and that, um, but I would say that that's, that's the best approach that we've taken. Right. So you mentioned something earlier about doing some, some wellness products as well. I mean, that, that doesn't require the same level of rigor, right? Yes. So wellness in terms of propeller culture. Um, so we recently launched um, or branded Propel Well. Mm-hmm. And Propel Well is our wellness movement mission to make sure, again, that our employees are socially, emotionally, physically living their best selves. There is so much going on in this world. And I recognize that, you know, whether it's the, the mom or the dad that has to teach homeschool their child to the left of them while they're on a client pitch, like that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, to, you know, all the crazy stuff that's going on in the news and navigating, navigating that. And, you know, people are very affected by these things. So we did create this um, branding, but within that, there's several programs. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have a maternal wellness program um, with Marcella Pelson. She is a life coach in New York City. She's incredible. We've had a few sessions with her. She specifically is focused on, you know, the working moms and understanding that balance. So we have a small group that meets with her on a monthly basis. Then secondly, we also have group therapy with um, Dr. Antoine. He does psychoeducation with us. And that's more focused on like cultural events, um, as well as just things that are very much top of mind for individuals and ways to kind of live and optimize our best selves. So um, you know, topics could range from social media and self-care to racial injustice. Um, but those have been very meaningful for us as well. And those are on a monthly cadence. 
Um, and then, you know, from a physical standpoint, we have like implemented walking meetings. We have um, different virtual events that we do. We engage in different um, competitions where if you get the most miles, then you get rewards. Um, so again, all these are just different programs that ladder up into this larger Propelwell initiative. And do you, is there a way, do you measure outcomes for these? I mean, what, what are your outcomes? What are you looking for out of them? That's a great question. Um, I guess from a quantitative perspective, I have not. From a qualitative perspective, it's just hearing the success from people themselves um, and seeing the results um, and the impact that it's making on them. Like for example, after our first maternal wellness session, I had two leaders of this company message me saying like, that was the most incredible experience. Like, can we speak to her daily? Mm -hmm. So seeing things like hearing things like that, I know that I am, you know, making a difference um, for the organization and all these individuals. And, you know, if they are happy and well, they're going to do better work. Um, and it also just lives into the propeller culture. Charlie Flax, our president, you know, started the company 15 years ago. It's our 15th year. Um, wow. you know. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah, no, it's great. He started it, um, you know, by himself, it's very small. There's a few individuals here that have been here since the very beginning and have seen wow. the evolution. Um, but, you know, what has not changed is the culture of, you know, being family oriented. And mm -hmm. he cares so much about each person. Like if he hears someone's upset, he like can't sleep at night. Um, which is very <laughs> so kind and so sweet. And he'd probably kill me for saying that. <laughs> but my point is that I think um, that it it's very important that we keep that connectivity, that we keep that family oriented feeling here. And so it's programs like this that will do that and make sure that we are caring for each other. Yeah. That's a great idea. I think a lot of companies should be implementing something like that because you know you never hear about something like that, especially in smaller companies like yours, where it's where there's a little more. It's more of a startup where it's like nose the grindstone all the time. They don't really spend that much time on their wellness programs. Yeah. Very cool. So tell me about the future. It's 2031. I want you to think a bit like a futurist. Ten years from now, what's the world going to be like? So this Gen Alpha will be running the world. And this Gen Alpha is <laughs> oh, literally- we, we, we passed Z now. We're, we're past Z now. <laughs> yep. Yep. And these are those individuals that are, you know, one years old, knowing how to work the TV remote better than my mom right now. Mm -hmm, it is mm -hmm. the two-year-old right now at the restaurant, like watching YouTube and knowing how to find Ryan's world. And right. so- because of that, they are so literate in digital. They mm -hmm. demand technology, right? They demand on-demand experiences and they want to control like what those experiences are. You know, I read an article recently that walks through the differences of like baby boomers, millennials and gen alpha mm -hmm. and baby boomers could, you know, the, the question was like, name as many ice cream flavors as you could. And for um, baby boomers, they named like, you know, the common number was like 40. And yeah. then for, um, you know, the millennials, it was maybe like 50 or 60. 
And then you have this gen alpha. And again, the poll was collected from like nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds. They're naming like unicorn flavors and like flavors that like didn't ever exist before, but they're the ones that are, you know, going to be demanding these like very custom innovative experiences, you know, over and over and over again. So from a marketing perspective, you know, the future is making sure that we are ahead of that and tailoring engagements to it. I think, you know, going back to the data point earlier, data is going to be not as manual as it is now. And it's going to be even more efficient, more turnkey to get those custom journeys and experiences for these individuals. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more connected devices, more Mm -hmm. social platforms. I actually don't see um, social going away at all. Like I know that that people argue back and forth, like, oh, is Snap only Snap only here for a few years? Is TikTok only here for a few years? I don't think it is. I think that those are the leading platforms. Um, and I think it's the way that we are going to engage with those customers from, you know, either an advertising perspective or just even general content. I think that, you know, having that short form video content um, those quick hits is what's going to resonate. That's interesting. So would you say that it's more of a DIY or DIFM type of culture? Like people want, people want stuff done for them. Like do they prefer the feed being really efficient and effective and telling them exactly what they want, or are they really more seekers and they want to go do it themselves? I don't think they want to do it themselves. Okay. But I think they want to feel like they've done it themselves. <laughs> they are so. We want, to, we want to do it for them, but we also want to give them some controls so that they can they can think that they're they're making changes. Yes, I think that they're going to want to. I think that this group is going to want to feel that they drove their own experience, but I right. I don't think they're going to want any effort to it. So it's going to be need to. It's going to have to be delivered to them. In the way that data has driven it, driven it for it. What do you think about trust levels? Do you think trust levels are going to go up or down in, in, in media? Um, I would say they are going to go up. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, I don't know what other people have said to you, but I do think that they're (laughs) going to, um, go up because the way that media is delivered is going to change. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the messaging within media is going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the state of cookies, like all these, uh, like pr- all these privacy laws are changing. So mm-hmm. as a result, I think that there will have to be more, I think there just will be more trust. There is so much transparency now. Um, and I think that the consumers know it as well like just working in the space and more and more people are working in the space and know. Um, So they're just going to trust what it is. So I was involved in something like, remember the very, very first uh, Facebook um, privacy dump problem that they had like a while back where, Mm -hmm. you know, people were all up in arms because, because they released some data. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a while there, there was a lot of discussion about how, Oh, people need to own their own data. And then that went away. And then it happens again, then it went away again, and it happens again and went away again. Do you think people are really interested in having control over their data or do you think they're just, they just, oh, they, yeah. okay. <laughs> I do. 
I mean, for now, I, I, I absolutely do. Um, right now, I don't necessarily think there is that trust. And I think that it's trust, you know, from, from media and digital all the way from trust to even the world. I think there's a lack of that. Um, yeah. I just think that in 10 years from now, it will have changed because there right. has to be, there has to be a change in transparency. There will be more people just knowing what is behind those firewalls, right? Like what is actually available. Um, yeah. So there will have to be just trans full transparency, I think. Right. But the, but the overall, they, they want stuff done for them. People want stuff done for them in general. That'll stay, that'll stay the same. Yeah, I, I, I think so. But again, I think it's that people um, are going to want to think that they did, that they chose their own, that they chose their own adventure, that they chose their own story, that they chose their own advertising experience. Right. Just because they've kind of, this group is growing up with that, with having so many options, mm-hmm. with so many options and loving that they can like drive their own future and they're going to continue to want that. Right. Very, very cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Um, yeah. Can you tell me what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? LinkedIn, website? LinkedIn would be great. Kate Horvath. Um, and then, you know, I am a propeller. So you can find me on the website, but I would say the best way to contact me is that you can also email me. Um, and my personal email is kwprins, P-R-I-N-S at gmail.com. Very cool. Well, I'll add yeah. that all into the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, they can go direct. So thank you so much. It was great talking thank with you. Thank you. Thank you. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye.